Here is a graveyard by a river. Affadown burial ground by the river Island outside Skibbereen in West Cork. My grandparents farmed the land nearby and they knew many of the people buried here. My parents still live at the edge of the town. It's been a long time since I lived in Skibbereen. The graveyard has been a patch of mine since I was a child. It was my place to explore the old graves and hear the wading birds and watch the lapwings in flight. The banks of this river nursed my curiosity about birds and wildflowers and it's taught me a lot. Last winter, when I was finally allowed to travel, I walked here from Skibbereen. I was sitting here, listening to the curlews at the low tide, when I met a man and I asked him where he was from. And he said he wasn't from here, he was from three miles up the road. He knew where my ancestors were buried in a tomb. He brought me there. The tomb just reads, Odunavon, Ardek, Fossak. I'm Regan Hutchins and you're listening to the first episode of Encounters, stories about our natural world. I'm traveling around Ireland, and that sounds good, so I'm going to say it again. I'm traveling around Ireland to meet people on their patch. I'm talking to people about the world at their doorstep, the place of their retreat, or the center of their universe. I'm hearing their stories about what brings them to the fields, the shores, the hills and parks, and what worlds they create there. Each of us encounters the natural world uniquely. And in this episode, we'll travel from West Cork to the Antrim coast and back again. Our first encounter is with the writer and activist Hilary McCullum. She brings me to a narrow path between a churning sea and a railway line. So you can cross over the railway track here and there's a sign that says stop, look, listen, beware of trains. But for me when I see it, it's, it's a reminder to all of us, stop, look, listen, and notice what's around you, you know, listen to the birds, listen to the sea. That's, that's what we need. That connection to nature is part of what keeps us sane. Hilary is reading other signs. She's worried. She tells me that the coast is threatened on one end with a major oil facility and on the other end with gas exploration. So you would have huge oil tankers coming in and docking right there. There'll be 140 lorries coming in and out of that facility all day, every day. But also they're going to have these massive, massive oil tankers coming in and docking there. I've seen here, I've seen seals, I've seen porpoises, I've seen otters, I've seen dolphins. The peregrine falcons nest right up there. I've seen gannets, cormorants, so many birds. And all of that is put in jeopardy in order to bring in fossil fuels when we know we have to stop using fossil fuels. A couple of years ago, Hillary moved to the seaside town of Whitehead with her partner, Darlene. 
She brings me on a coastal walk along Belfast Lock between the town and the lighthouse on Blackhead. She tells me about her lifelong connection to this beautiful coastline. And now ahead you can see Belfast in the distance. You'll just about see the, the Samson and Goliath, the two Harlan and Wolf frames. Hey Sharon. How are you? I'm grand, how are you? All right, this is Regan. Hi. Sorry? Hello. Regan. Regan. Hello, yeah. Regan. Hello. You're sure doing a wee programme with all these little secret paths. <laughs> Hello, where's, where's Toots? Oh, yeah, she would be too much trouble. She could only deal with you today, Regan. <laughs> Can't deal with the dog as well. <laughs> I know, darling, yeah. you're lovely, aren't you? I know, I know. I've made most of my friends in Whitehead yes, through the yeah, dog. Through the, through the dog. Is that how you know each other? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> then we discovered that we were both from Coleraine. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So we haven't spoken to each other since. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. All right, see ya. <laughs> see ya. She's lovely. <laughs> I lived in London for 20 years and Sometimes I felt really hemmed in. So I grew up in Corian, so Corian's not by the coast, but it's only four or five miles to Castle Rock. I used to cycle out there, sometimes even walk out there. Um, so I grew up with that, that sense of bigness. Oh, here we've got the train coming back. Okay, great. One of the big things I got from Whitehead over this last winter was the sunrise. But actually the half an hour before the sunrise with the colours in the sky was just glorious every morning. And every morning having that bigness around you, I love that bigness. And I like the feeling small, actually, some of the time. You know that I'm just a small part of this huge, huge world. So explain to me uh, what it is about a horizon that charms you or that you need in your life, a view of a horizon. Nature's always been really important to me and I think partly because I was abused as a child. So I used to escape out into nature and that connection to the natural world has always been really restorative for me. But I think that's also part of why I like the horizon. I like the bigness. You know, when you're when you're abused and a, a kind of ongoing abuse, it's very closing in, uh, and the horizon's very opening out. That's interesting because you'd imagine that a child who's being abused would would be afraid of leaving the home. But I guess the home is the source of the problem. Yeah. Well, certainly that was the case for me. Yeah. So. So getting out into nature was a big, big escape. And where did you go and what did you do? So where I lived, I lived quite near the, um, the playing fields for Corey and Inst. Um, and there was a hole in the fence. I used to go down, down through the hole in the fence, down through the fields, down to the River Ban. I would spend a lot of my time down the River Ban. And also once I was able to cycle, which was, I suppose, from about seven or eight. You could cycle from my house and it wasn't even half a mile and you were out into the countryside. You'd go up the hill and then it'd be mostly flat and you'd come back round to the main road and then you'd be whizzing down the hill on your bike. 
And yeah, that was very delightful. <laughs> Hello, darling. Hello. Hello. Were you an activist in the 80s? I was. I was. <laughs> I was an activist primarily about violence against women. I've been an activist about violence against women all my life and also about lesbian and gay rights in the 80s. Do you know, I do. I love my life and I enjoy my life and I, I, I don't want to be... I'm not somebody who's just on their soapbox and doesn't stop and listen and notice what matters in life. But at the same time, also, things have to change, you know? There's a huge big lighthouse. Is that Blackhead Lighthouse? It is, yeah. So that's Blackhead Cliff. We're going to walk up to the lighthouse and then come back down again. So over to our right, we've got fields on the cliff. You've got the White Cliff uh, and the jetty. You've got North Down, the Copeland Islands, which are bird sanctuaries. Between Scotland and where we are, there's the Irish Sea. And then sitting at the edge of the Irish Sea, you've got the lighthouse. So this area is being threatened by increasing oil importation and increasing the use of gas 450 metres from the shore, which will probably create a dead zone for the sea life in that area. Ah. The thrill for anybody who's seen a seal or an otter or a dolphin or seen a gannet diving, you know, 100 foot above the sea, diving in after the fish. For anybody who's seen that and had let that, that moment of a sheer joy enter them, to give that up for a couple of decades of profits, for fuels that are destroying the earth, what is the positive about this? I can't find any single positive. You're going to fight it, aren't you? Definitely, definitely. I'm not as in touch at the minute with exactly what's happening because of COVID. We're not able to meet, we're not able to organise in the same way. But I just can't believe that they can, can do it. I can't believe that anybody would think it's a good idea in order to create short-term profits for people who have no investment at all or interest in this area. Hello. Hello there. Hello. That is an amazing picture of the cliff at the lighthouse on top of it, and we're so close to it. I know. Can you imagine if you were standing here when its light was on, it would blind you? And they used to have a foghorn. In fact, the foghorn still, there's still a foghorn, uh, so if it's foggy, you'll get, you'll hear the... One of my favourite things to do in the world is whale watching. When I went to Australia with Darlene, we went and stayed on this little island called North Stradbroke. And it was during whale migration season, the humpback whales. And it was probably the most sacred experience of my life. It's a place called The Point. They come in quite close. And we noticed a mother and her calf, a mother humpback whale and her calf coming round The Point. 
And when we first were there, I don't know, there was maybe about 10 people. And we just watched this mother and her calf migrating around this headland. And I'd been there maybe, I don't know, maybe half an hour. And suddenly kind of looked round and by then there was maybe 50 or 60 people and they'd all been in this reverie watching this mother and her calf. It sounds like you were a congregation. It was. It was It was honestly like a, a complete sacred moment and, and a sense of, of people wanting, wishing well to them, you know? Not wanting to destroy, but wanting wanting to at least do no harm. You're listening to Encounters, stories about our natural world, with me, Regan Hutchins. And I'm recording this at the end of June in West Cork. I'm at a small burial ground at Affadown outside Skibbereen, and I've been coming here since I was a boy. But I've been coming here as much as I can this past year, and one of the reasons is that along the roads and down here by the church, I've been meeting lots of strangers and having really interesting conversations with them about the area, about their families, and it feels like people are just dying to talk. And today was no exception, just as I was pressing record, Regan Hutchins. And what's your first name? Regan. Oh, Regan Hutchins. Yeah, yeah. Ah, sorry. I guess you A man came up to me. He fishes on the river here, and his name is John Ball. Uh, if you could turn back the clock 100 years or 200 years, Regan, and just think of what boats were coming up and down here then, trading. There was a lot of boats here. There was 13 fishing boats in the river one time. Like, they were all making a living out of it. And there might have been... There could have been four men in each boat. I suppose. They were rowing that time, they had no outboards. And they had a, a, the seine, we used to call it, in the back of the boat. There'd be men at the back. And then there'd be two or three rowers in the front, because they'd have to have four men to haul the net. There'd be one the head rope, one the foot, at each end. And so, I don't remember the 13 boats. There was about five of them, I'd say, when I, four or five of us, when I used to go with my grandfather that time. Just go out for the day, just for it to be there, you know. It's just heaven on earth out there. And you always loved it ever since? Oh, loved it, yeah. Loved the river here, yeah. Do you see the bit of a stick sticking up there? I do. That's an old wreck of a fishing boat, the, the stern post and the stem post. I think that's the stem post sticking up there. Her name is the Water Hen, <laughs> and she's been there a good while. <laughs> <laughs> there wildlife here, like seals, did they ever come Plenty, up? Plenty, yeah. They Plenty. go up as far as Skibbereen, yeah. Plenty. And down the end, there's big congregations of them. <laughs> there's salmon here. No, I'd say the salmon are making a comeback with the best past few years. I see two shell duck out there last week. Two shell duck that were out there just splattering along the boat, feeding. They're probably had young ones farther up there somewhere. Night time is a good time if you're these nice now. There's moon tonight. If you came down here now tonight, just sit still and listen. And you might hear or see things moving around there, you know. Come down low water, especially you might hear the otter, the whistle, because he has a track up there, so he's bound to be somewhere around. Yeah. I never knew they whistled. They have a kind of a whistle, yeah. yeah. You might see an owl, and a lot of time you'll see an owl there. A barn owl? Or barn owl, yeah. Wait for that. 
if you were crossing a big field area, you know, and you were travelling down your lights, just the top of the luminary of your light, you'll see this thing flying across. Do you know, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm delighted I met you. My wife said I'd talk to a stone. <laughs> she said, what were you blabbering with today? <laughs> you probably talk to a stone. <laughs> Among the many wildflowers growing out of the ditches right now is the fuchsia plant, the famous symbol of West Cork. I think it's pretty well known that the fuchsia isn't a native plant, but I'm not entirely sure why it's the symbol of this area. But like the fuchsia, many people have travelled to West Cork to make their home here, and many have thrived and brought their own dynamism and energy to the area. So. Oh, this is really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> we normally plant um, African corn, and then there's kale that is African kale that is not the same as your kale. And it's used in many things, like when you make stew, uh, soups. We call everything kind of curry instead of stew. I learned the word stew here in Ireland which means something different, but if you make your dinner, we call it curry. Our final encounter is with Kanyo Dlamini on a short tour of her community garden in the town of Clonakilty in West Cork. Kanyo has suggested that we meet here because she wants to show me a fennel plant which links her native home in South Africa to her new home in Ireland. I call Fennel in my language, Imbosisa. <laughs> there it is. And Imbosisa is a very, very good plant where I come from. If you just pinch it, pinch it, pinch it around, and then the smell of it, it covers everybody. It can cover you and your neighbors from bad spirits. Where is it grown in home? In gardens or around the house? or You can put it at the front garden of your house or all corners so it will be easy for you when you pinch it because it's kind of protecting you, is it? So in some houses they put it at the gate that way everybody comes in, good and bad people. Mm. So when it's there at the front, it does the work for you. If people are passing, they're already losing whatever that they have. As I come from Africa, obviously there's lots of belief of bad spirits and voodoo and witchcraft and everything and they work. The garden belongs to the residents of Clonakilty Lodge, a direct provision centre on a hill overlooking the town. Konyo tells me how learning about the history of the town has enhanced her connection to it and also to the community. There was a train station and you'll be like, there was train in Clon. You won't know those things when you come in a community because they are no longer there. So the history that was inside, like right in front of our door, was like very overwhelming and it was really nice to know more about the town and the, that you're living in. Do you see, when you, when you get connected in a place, you give you in it because you bring something with you wherever you go. You kind of open into giving because you have received something from the town that says you are welcome, you belong here. Yeah, it's like a two-way relationship. Oh, then. yes, it is. And the more you get yourself accepted, you are more giving than if you are kind of pushed away. Now I can tell you that 
I belong to Klonekilzi. I love Klonekilzi. We are all unique in our way. And when you get what the community gives you, you are able to produce what you also have. And then when everybody takes that together, it brings something very beautiful. We have rosemary, we have thyme, obviously we have sinfennel and um, strawberries. And there's a little bit of them here, as you can see. Oh there. yeah, look. Yeah, we have strawberries also here. When the weather is nice and good, we sit on the table and we get our dinner or we just chat and sit with children while they are playing and stuff. But we normally, this is our very precious space. We love coming here. Kanyo has been living in direct provision for a number of years with her two small children. There have been some recent changes in the system, but she tells me what her experience of direct provision has been. So direct provision was meaning that you are not allowed to work and it meant that you can't do anything, which was a very had something to to cope with. As we develop in life, we grow and we come in a particular stage. If you're a child, you're dependent to your parent, and then you're a teenager, you try to find your life, you find yourself, you find everything, and then when you are an adult, you're supposed to be responsible. And then direct provision says, sit down, because somebody's going to feed you, and then somebody's going to do this for you, and that is the hard part to do as adults, because in, in that position of life, you're supposed to kind of building up yourself, you're supposed to be working, you're supposed to be saving, you're supposed to be kind of building your life. And that time was pause and sit down. So direct provision at my time meant that. But also, I will also say something good about direct provision, because direct provision have saved somebody from their situation where they were coming from. And that is everything, because island is safe. As people are running away from trauma, from everything, there's lots of services that are provided that help somebody to find themselves again. Did you come from a, a, a big family or a small family in, in South Africa? A big family. My mother had 10 children. Uh, she had six girls and four boys. And my home was busy. <laughs> <laughs> it was busy as you can imagine that six girls oh my god but it was very nice because i remember when i was home i'll be the one who reads the one who storytell like back home life is about days there'll be a fire and then people sitting around the fire where do we cook so as you cook you cook on the ground so the fire is on the ground and you have a pot on top of the fire with three stones and then you put your pot and um, everybody is around. So as everybody is around like that, that is the time where they storytelling, that is the time where everybody talk about their issues and stuff. So that is the, what normally big homes bring, that's where all the problems are solved. Uh, if you had issues with somebody and you bring it out or you sort it out at that time. So that is big family. And when you have a big family, I believe you are able to take life as it comes. 
what are you hoping that you can build here with your family, your two children? My hope would be for them to have a stable life than they have at the moment, yes. So I'm hoping that they can have a peaceful place like Ireland is, where I can walk on my holding my phone and go to town, be free and walk at 9 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, at any time that I want. And um, I so wish that for them they can experience what real life is, where you live in no fear, which is just, I think it's everything that anybody can ask for. While we've been talking, I've noticed that you've been stroking the fennel plant like it's a dog or a cat or something very familiar. You know, you've been, your hand is running oh, through it. You. It really, really does take me home, like really take me home. Can you remember in Ireland where you first saw the plant growing? Uh, I believe it's here. Because when I first came to the garden, the smell, I'm like, mm, 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 mm. I know that smell. What is that? What is that? And then from there, I'm like, oh my God, I remember I got teary, kind of. I was like really homesick. And I don't like when I feel like that, because sometimes it gets really deep when I'm homesick. But it just took me back home, like really back home. And it made me feel like, oh, I miss home. Since that day, I haven't stopped coming to this symbols because it always reminds me of where I come from. And I knew that you wanted to talk to me about your fennel plant and I was thinking, I wonder in Ireland, do we have a history of this? Mm. And I discovered that we do. Oh, that's nice. Uh, that's and nice. I discovered that in Irish tradition and European tradition, if fennel was hung by the window, mm -hmm. It was to protect the house against bad spirits. Oh my God, you see the world have everything connected to each other. Never even think that that's the same belief which is in Africa, is the same belief that was here in Ireland, which tells you about the power of the plants that we have around us. And sometimes we don't even know what they are for. And smells it. Oh my God. <laughs> it smells so good, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You've been listening to the first episode of Encounters, which was presented and produced by me, Regan Hutchins. On the next episode, we say goodbye to Berlin and to Delhi, and we count butterflies in Baltimore. <laughs>